I'm super excited to be here with you guys. If you guys don't know my name, uh, my name is Will. I help out here around the church. Um, I don't know what I do. I just do whatever they tell me to do. Um, and it usually seems to work out pretty well. So um, I'm up here because, uh, I don't know if you guys knew this, but uh, our pastor Ben, his wife Lindsay, was very pregnant last week uh, and decided uh, that she was going to have a baby this week. So uh, Ava was born. That's a round of applause. That was awesome. She's a very beautiful little baby. Fortunately, she looks more like Lindsay. Um, see, that's a perfect thing for a laptop. So, yeah, that was awesome, and we were really excited about that. Um, and I'm especially excited because I get to be here with you guys today. So, I got to log into the computer and everything like that. Um, it's just easier to me to have it all on here so I can just like click through windows as opposed to having to like flip through my Bible pages all the time and have no idea where it's supposed to be at. So, before we get going any further, um, let's just pray to get started. Um, just ask God to be here, uh, to be present with us this morning as we know that he already is. So let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for um, the fact that uh, we can be here this morning, God. The fact that you woke us up this morning. Uh, the fact that we live in a country where we get to come and openly praise your name um, and just glorify you for who you are, God. So as we come out of the Easter season, um, I just pray that we would remember, God, where we've come from in the last week, God. Remember the fact that you rose from the dead, what that means for us in our life, God. And I pray now that as we move forward, we can figure out how to take that and really apply it to who we are, to what we do every single day. So I pray that you would speak to us this morning, God, that you would speak through your word, God, that you would speak over and above me, God, that you would speak directly to the hearts of everyone here this morning, as only you can do. And I pray all this in your precious son's name. Amen. Um, again, well, I'm so excited to be here with you guys this morning. Like I said, we um, had... Larry, can you throw that logo up? Larry disappeared. Um, we just finished Easter, right? And someone tell me what happened on Easter. Somebody say it loud. Jesus rose from the dead. There we go. I used to be a middle school youth pastor. That's great. I, I used to do a lot of middle school stuff, so I had to ask questions to make sure they were actually paying attention. Because if you don't ask questions with middle schoolers, like before you know it, they're just like this. So that's not supposed to be up there right now. But like the actual button that says logo. There we go. That's the one. Um, did they put the bunny back up? Okay, no, we're good. Still says what's next. Um, so yeah, last week we had Easter, and, and that means that, you know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, right? In other words, he didn't just come as man and die for our sins, he rose from the dead to show that he had power over death, and that he conquered death, so that through him we can conquer sin and death, right? And get to have a personal relationship, get to spend an eternity with God. That's awesome, that's amazing, right? And I don't know if you guys even remember, but last week Ben actually had us like, cheer and applaud for that. It was awesome. I was actually listening to the recording this week and morning service. You guys did way better than the evening service at that. So be proud of yourselves. Um, take that home as a point of pride. And if you see someone from the evening service, you can be like, I did better than you or not. That's fine. Um, but it got me thinking this last week about what we do after Easter, like what, you know, as a church we do after Easter, because actually like leading up to Easter and 
Uh, leading up to Christmas, you have all these like big events that you go through as a church, especially like from the stage. Ben kind of talks through all these big events that went down scripturally and historically. And, and it's such a cool thing to go through all those events leading up to the cross and the events leading up to Christmas. But now it's after Easter. We've already had Christmas. We're a long ways away from hitting that again. What do we do? What's next? What's next? What do we do now that Easter's over? And so I started thinking about that. And I was thinking this week about what I did right after Easter. And that was these awesome, creepy bunny photos. Bear with me for a moment. I thought these were great. You don't have to. It's fine. It's not going to change my opinion. So I started looking up. I I somehow ended up in an uh, an article that was creepy Easter bunny photos. And I just want to walk through some of these with you. You don't have to laugh. It's completely fine. I don't care. They're still hilarious to me. This kid has pure terror on his face. He has no idea what's going on in this moment. That is just a blank stare of his brain has no idea how to process what he is sitting on. Because that's not a bunny. The thing has double mustaches. That's really weird. And then there's the eyes are all, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's super strange. People aren't very good at making bunny costumes. So, first one. Okay, next. Yeah, I mean, it looks like a, okay, I don't know if you, like, uh, Dastardly Whiplash, you guys know who that is? He's like an old-timey cartoon villain character with, like, the big mustache that twirls out. He's got the big top hat. You might know what I'm talking about. That's what that looks like to me. It's like an old cartoon villain that someone took and put ears on, and it's really creepy. Okay, next one. Clearly, Easter was on a Sunday. That bunny was out in the bars Friday and Saturday night and just wasn't quite ready to be awake for Sunday. Okay, next one. Okay, I love this one because this is clearly a really old Easter bunny, and they actually didn't do a bad job at making it, except that its blank stare looks like death. So this kid on the right loves it. The kid on the left has no idea what's going on. He's completely freaked out by this. Okay, next one. That bunny is just evil. Every other, everything else about that bunny is fine, except those eyes and that mouth just mean I'm doing something mean right now. And this girl is probably old enough to know the reality of the Easter bunny, but she's still terrified by what that thing is. Okay, next one. Again, why would you do, I don't even know what to say about this. Yeah, I don't know. Go on. Move on. Move, next one. Okay. That's just a very poorly put together costume because that was just, the eyes are crooked. They're pointing in different directions. The nose doesn't line up in the center. The top right ear is way smaller than the other ear. And that kid's blank stare just, yeah. Okay. So I think that's the last one, isn't it? Okay, sweet. So, um... For me, immediately after Easter, that's what was next. And then I realized very quickly, that's not the point of this message. But um, I started trying to figure out what's next. Like, what do we do after Easter? Do, you know, I, I ended up getting caught up for like, a, like literally, like, a, I'm not joking. You can go through Google and just look at creepy Easter bunny photos, and there's thousands of them. And then, this was awesome. The one that I said looked like an old-timey cartoon character. If you search old-timey cartoon character, he's like the third picture that pops up. And he's a bunny. He's not even a cartoon character, so it made me laugh. Um, but, uh, I, I started getting into these things and I, I realized, you know, that's not 
the point of what's next after Easter, but it made me start thinking about what we do after Easter. What we do after Easter, because we've just come and we've gotten so excited for the fact that Christ rose from the dead. Christ rose from the dead. This is so awesome. This is so amazing. But then we've got to figure out what next. We can't just ride that spiritual high, that emotional high. We can't continue just to sit on that and ride that out and hope that that's going to carry us through all the way to the next spiritual high in our church-going life. So we've got to figure out what next as a Christian. What do we do next? What's the next step that we take? And a lot of you guys in this room uh, hopefully are in that place where you're trying to figure out, okay, what next? Okay, I understand the reality of Easter. I understand where to go next. All right, I understand that I need to go somewhere. Where next? What next? Where do I go? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And I just want to talk about it from a really scriptural standpoint because what was the very next like, major historical event that happened right after Easter? The very next huge thing that happened right after Easter. Right after the resurrection from the dead, what happened? Anybody? Somebody said Ascension. Ascension, right? That really cool Phil Wickham song that's out right now. I love it. Ascension. No, what does that mean? What does that mean? It it means that Christ didn't just die and rise from the dead. He didn't just show his power over dead. He then rose back to the right hand of God and is sitting in power, reigning next to God. That's what the ascension means. So this is a huge historical event, and I just want to look at it for a minute and talk about it. Okay, if if Easter was last Sunday, then the next logical step to me seems to be the ascension, and what do we do with that? How do we actually take the ascension and apply it to our lives? So if you guys want to turn with me, um, we're going to start out in uh, Acts chapter 1, because right after the gospel's end, Acts is like kind of where it picks up. Um, and this is written by Luke, same guy that wrote the book of Luke. Okay, not John, Luke. I'm telling you, you guys would be surprised. I haven't taught like consistently since, since I was doing middle school, but you'd be surprised how many times you ask middle schoolers like, who wrote the book of John? And they're like, ah, Peter? No, are you kidding me right now? Um, the best was I had them one time. I was like, what are the first five books of the Bible? Come on, guys, what are the first five books of the Bible? This one kid was like, got it. Genesis, Exodus, Jeremiah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I was like, he was so confident in that moment that he had nailed that answer. It was like, said it, boom, done. And I was just like, I'll give you that. You believe that. Sounds good. We'll go with that. But Acts is the next step after the gospel. So right after Christ's death and resurrection, the next thing that we see is the book of Acts pick up and start with the ascension of Christ, and then it takes off with the day of Pentecost, which we're going to talk a lot about next week, and kind of the moving forward of these disciples, these 12 disciples that followed Christ and the other followers that were with them, kind of the moving forward of them, and and basically the start of the church historically, and kind of the following through of some of the major events in the beginning of the church you know, which ultimately led us, led us up to us being able to meet here today. Um, so we're going to start uh, in, in Acts chapter 1 and kind of talk through the ascension a little bit. So if you guys will read with me, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, and he had given commands through his Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking 
about the kingdom of God. So we talked about this a little bit last week, right? That after Christ uh, died, he was raised from the dead, and he actually appeared to a lot of different people over that time. Okay, and this is telling us that there's about 40 days in between the time that Christ raised from the dead and the time that he ascended into heaven. So this, he, it wasn't just like, I, I'm back, I rolled the stone out of the way. Hey guys, I'm here, look at the holes on my hands. All right, I'm gone. And then up to heaven. He like hung out with them for like 40 days and continued to teach, continued to, to, to speak to people, continued to reveal himself to people. And we talked about last week, if you guys were here, that Paul even says in one of his epistles, he says, uh, you guys, and he was writing to those people, not us obviously, but he says, you guys can even go talk to people that saw Christ after he was raised from the dead. They're still alive right now. You can go speak with them. You can go uh, interview them and see what they had to say about all this. So he goes on in verse 4, Luke does. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he's kind of looking forward to the day of Pentecost, saying, Hey, you guys, wait for it. This is going to be crazy. This is going to be huge. All throughout Jesus' ministry, he had promised them a comforter who was going to come after he left. He actually said at one point, it's better for you that I go so that you can receive the Holy Spirit. So that shows us the state that we're living in today. It's actually better for us that Christ ascended into heaven so that we can have the Holy Spirit in our life today, which is such an amazing thing. We're going to talk about it in huge details next week. So verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I don't know if you guys know the, the context behind that, but what that means is... Um, the Jews in that day and age actually thought when Jesus comes, he's going to overthrow Roman authority and reset Jerusalem and Israel up as like, you know, the kingdom of the day. He's going to set them up as kind of the ruling kingdom in the entire area. And that's what they thought was going to happen. And so they're saying, okay, you know, we've seen you work miracles. We've seen you work wonders. You were killed. You have now raised yourself from the dead. Is it now? Is, it, is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Because they were looking forward, and they were so excited for that. And he's got this awesome answer for them. He said, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This final thing he has to say to them, hey, you don't know when I'm coming back. But he makes it clear, I am coming back. He, all throughout the Old Testament, throughout prophecy, throughout Jesus' ministry, he makes it clear, I'm going to come back again. I'm going to come back again, I promise. And so that they think, okay, he died, he raised from the dead, he's back. Cool, he was gone three days, he's back. And he says, no, 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 this isn't that time. Trust me, there's going to be a much more amazing time that's going to come. That's going to be when I'm going to come back and restore Israel. We're not there yet, not quite yet. So this is so amazing in verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So as Jesus is sitting here talking to his disciples, he just kind of starts, I, I, I don't know how it actually happened. I just picture Jesus like in mid-sentence just starts to like go up in the air. And they're like, oh my gosh, you're going away. And he's like, no, 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 go back down. I want to finish. I don't know. Probably not because Jesus knew what he was doing. So he just like slowly, like he literally ascended his, his like, like actual figure, his actual body ascended itself into heaven. And the disciples are standing here looking. 
They're standing here staring. Wouldn't you be? If I think through that situation and I try to put myself in their feet, as Jesus is ascending, I'm just going to be like, whoa. Wow. Huh. That's cool. And I'm, I, I'm, it's gonna, I'm gonna be gone for a minute. I'm, here, I'm gonna zoned out, completely staring at that. But then these two guys come up in white robes. That's all it has to say about these guys. Then two men in white robes were standing next to them. All of a sudden, doesn't say they walked up, doesn't say they came up. All of a sudden, two men in white robes were standing next to them. Any, anyone want to take a shot in the dark and say who they, who these might be? Two guys, white robes, appeared out of nowhere. Angels. I mean, that's, that's really the only thing I can think of, and then and, and all the commentaries that you read seem to kind of point in that direction. So most likely, these are two angels that literally show up, and they're like, hey, men of Galilee, why are you looking up into heaven? If I was any one of the disciples, I'd be like, did you see what just happened? Maybe he's going to come back right now. They're amazed by what just happened, and they're waiting for God to come back. So they're just staring there like, oh, my gosh, did you guys see what just happened? And these guys step up next to him and they say, hey, what are you doing? And the key thing about that, the key thing about what they had to say right there, those two, those two men in white that show up, not two men in black, two men in white that show up and decide to talk to them, they say, what are you doing? Men of Galilee, what are you doing? And that's not just a question like, hey, what are you guys actually doing? The, the answer, we're looking up into heaven because Jesus went away, would not have been a sufficient answer for these two guys. There was more behind that when you read this. There's more behind that question. They're actually saying, what are you guys doing here? Get out of here. Get out of here. He's going to come back someday. But as he just told you, you don't know when that's going to be. And you've got stuff to do right now. You've got stuff to go do. Because Jesus didn't just leave with the order of stay, hang out, wait until I come back, and then we'll you know, set up Israel. He left with the orders of, you guys have things to do. I'm giving you a ministry. Go do it, and I'll be back one day. Go do it, and I'll be back one day. And that's the same, uh, the same calling that we are living under as the church today. Until the day that Christ comes back, we have the exact same calling as these 12 disciples did, and that is the ministry that God set them up that we're going to be talking about a lot today. So if you're the three disciples, and, and, or the 12 disciples, sorry, that's three points. If you're the 12 disciples, and, and you're sitting there and all the followers of Christ, and you just watched Jesus himself ascend into heaven, and these two guys show up and basically say, hey, you've got a, a, a something to do, go do it. What is running through your mind in this moment? For me, it would be like, okay, okay, let's remember, let's, gr- let's group together, guys, let's remember, what did he tell us we had to do? You'd think they would know this by now. By three years of Jesus hammering this into their head, here's what you got to do, here's what you got to do. What it, they sit back and they say, okay, what did, what did he ask us to do? What are we supposed to do? And if it were me, and, and, and like I said, if it were me, there's, there's three huge things that would come to mind. Three huge things that would come to mind. The first of which is uh, back in Matthew, actually the first two of which. So this is back in Matthew. Jesus is still alive. He's with the disciples. And he's getting questioned by Pharisees and Sadducees, kind of the ruling Jewish council of the day. They're questioning him. They're trying to pin him into a corner and trying to get him and be like, ha, wrong answer. We got you. They never actually won that battle. But they tried really hard. So one of them, uh, verse 34, 
Matthew chapter 22, it says, But then the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. They gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? What is the greatest commandment in the law? And he asked him this, why? Why would he ask him that question specifically? Because the law was a huge thing for Jewish people. Still is to this day. And not just the Ten Commandments, but the entirety of the Mosaic Law. Hundreds and hundreds of rules and laws and commandments that they're supposed to follow. And these things are all supposed to have top priority in your life as a Jewish person, which Jesus is Jewish. That might have blown somebody's mind in this room. If it did, let's go to Sunday school next Sunday. I'm just kidding. But Jesus was a Jewish man, and his followers were Jewish young men. And and so he's saying, hey, so what's the greatest commandment? You're coming and teaching all this new stuff. What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus throws this back in this guy's face, not, not like in a mean way, but it's like the coolest answer ever. Verse 37, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the greatest commandment. Absolutely, that's the greatest commandment, right? More than all of these other dietary commandments that the Jews were following this time, more than all of these other um, festival commandments, all these other things that they were following, all these ceremonial commandments, Jesus said, more importantly than all of that, you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That is by far the most important thing for you to know. And he goes on to say, in the second, and a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Basically, and for years, guys have summed this up in the most basic of ways by saying this simple little phrase, and I love it, and if you remember it, it can really have the power if you allow it to change the way you think and the way you look at life. Is love God, love people. Super simple. You've probably heard that before. Love God, love people. It's that easy. Jesus comes back and he says, all of those laws, all of those rules, all of those commandments that you had, they can all be summed up in this one thing, love God and love people. Right? Even if you look at the Ten Commandments, somebody call out one of the Ten Commandments besides love, your, love, love God or love your neighbors yourself. Any of them. All I'm hearing is... What? Do not murder. Okay, let's take that. If you love your neighbor as yourself, are you going to murder them? Easy, forget it. Just love your neighbor as yourself. What else? Honor the Sabbath. Sabbath. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, are you going to honor the Sabbath that he set in place? Yep, absolutely. What else? (coughs) Don't commit adultery. That seems like a very simple one. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and you're married, then your major ministry is to your wife. So if you love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, are you going to commit adultery against your wife? Are you going to commit adultery with your neighbor's wife? Because that's not loving your neighbor very well. that's the wrong kind of loving your neighbor. But (laughs) it's most definitely not loving your wife. And it's definitely not loving your neighbor's husband. Uh, Yeah, just you guys understand what I'm saying there. I got a little weird for a second. What else? All of the other commandments that you want to think about. Don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery. Anything else that you want to throw out. 
All of those can be summed up in love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself, right? Jesus nailed it on the head, and it's so apparent because they had no answer for that. They just sat there and were like, ah, dang it. Try you again later, mister. And they leave. I mean, that's really all they have to say to that. And so if you're the 12 disciples and you're sitting here right after Christ ascended to heaven, hopefully these are two of the most important things that come back to mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. Hey, guys, don't forget, Jesus said these were the two greatest commandments. These are everything that we do from here on out needs to be kind of grounded and guided by these two things. Right? So then they continue to think, okay, what, what, else, what else should we remember? Oh, yeah, he just said this one thing. Right before Jesus ascended, right before what happened in Acts, he had one more huge thing to say, and I love this because it so greatly sums up everything. It so greatly sums up, love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself, all in one commandment that Jesus had to give to these disciples right before he left. This ministry that he dropped them off with sums up these first two things. So this is uh, Matthew 28, verse 16. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee. Why eleven? Because Judas had betrayed Jesus and killed himself. So there's only eleven left at this point. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's the very last thing that Jesus has to say before he ascends into heaven. He is meeting them on the Mount of Olives, which is where the ascension happened. He has this one final thing to say to them. Let me ask you this. Someone in this room, give me someone that you ridiculously look up to that's a celebrity. That's kind of weird because we shouldn't look up to him that much. But if you're an athlete, give me like an athlete that you're like, man, that guy's awesome. Anybody? Jordan Spieth? What? Who? Chipper Jones. Cool. Chipper Jones. All right, so let's say that you win a contest and you get to hang out with Chipper Jones. You guys know he's a ba- uh, baseball player. I'm right, right? Okay. I'm just just starting to get into baseball. My brother-in-law plays minor league baseball. And I'm just trying to figure it out because the whole family's a fan, and I, I have to be a fan now. And I'm excited. I really want to be, but I know nothing about it as of right now. Um. So you get, you win a contest to get to hang out with Chipper Jones. You get to hang out with Chipper Jones, and, and you guys are talking and hanging out all day. And he's giving you tips on baseball. You know, this is how I did this. You know, this is how I, I, I was able to do this. This is how I hit this well. You know, this is the technique for hitting. you got to, like, plant and then, like, twist your whole body, all this kind of stuff. Um, so he's giving you all these techniques, and, like, he's going. He's leaving at the end of the day. He says, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, there's one more thing I forgot to tell you. It's crucial. Don't forget this one thing. What are you going to do in that moment? Are you going to be like, okay, hold on just a sec. No, 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 no. And you're not going to be like, oh, I got to go, man. Sorry. Bye. You're not going to do that. You're going to be like, oh my gosh, what's this one thing? Tell me this one thing. I got to hear it. Tell me this one thing now. This is the situation the disciples are in. This is, they know at this point that this is God incarnate. They know at this point that this is the Son of God come to man, come to man, come to earth, 
the Son of God in, in, in manly form, come to earth to teach them what to do. And in that moment, he's saying, okay, I'm leaving, but I got one more thing to say to you. So, oh my word, you better believe they are paying attention right now. They are paying attention right now. And he gives them this commandment that sums up everything else he had to say. Everything else he had to say, hey, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. And the interesting thing about this is it's not necessarily go. It's not necessarily like leave this space, go over there and do this. It's as you are going. That's the verb in the actual way that it's written in the original language. It's as you are going. So, hey, as you're heading, wherever you're heading, make disciples. Right? So these are the three big things that, that Jesus gives them. They, the three biggest things that he says in his ministry is love God, love people, and make disciples. Those are the three big commandments that he gives them. He gives them tons of more commandments. But when you read through their lives and through their ministries, it's all hinged around these three ideas, to love God, to love people, and to make disciples. Or let me rephrase it for you. Love God, make disciples, be great neighbors. Have you heard that before? It's literally written right out there in the hallway. Really big and chalk. You can look at it when you went out. It was amazingly done by this awesome guy in our church. But he gives them this big three idea. Love God, make disciples, and love people. Be great neighbors. Love your neighbors yourself. And these are the three ideas that all of their ministry is based off of as they move forward. All of their ministry is based off this idea as they move forward. And and the key thing in all of this is what you understand with these 12 disciples who literally went out, who literally changed the world as we know it. They went forward with those three things in mind, with those three things in heart. And for you guys in this room, for you guys that are showing up, that come to church because it's a really cool warehouse, that's probably not why you come to church, but for those of you that are in this room that come to church because you've gone to church your entire life and you're, you're supposed to go to church and this is the church in town that looks the most like Pinterest, um, so it's where you're going to go, clearly. Um, for those of you who are just trying this out for the first time, who go to FSU or go to wherever, or just live here in town and work and have decided, you know what, I'm going to try out church and, and this one seems kind of cool, I'm going to go show up. And you don't really know what's going on, you're still trying to figure all this out as you go. For that person that's sitting in this room, for the person in this room that's sitting here and says, I've heard the Easter message over and over and over again in my life, and I understand this, and I'm a Christian, and I'm following after God, I'm reading my Bible daily, regardless of where you're at in that spectrum of people, God is calling you to understand that you are called to go make disciples, to love God, to love people, to make disciples as you are going out. That means as you're going to class, to be sharing the gospel with people. As you're sitting in class next to that person that you've sat in class next to a thousand times to try to find a moment that maybe you could turn and talk to them and start up a conversation, invite them to church, share the gospel with that person. As you're at work, working with these people over and over and over, 
in the world, seeing these people live their lives that is so far away from God. As you're in that situation, God is saying, find a moment to share my name with them. Because how can you be more loving to that person than sharing with them the truth and the reality of who God is? This isn't some drastic, huge thing. This isn't, uh, okay, now I have to go to Africa because he said I have to be ready to go. It's nothing like that. This is as you are going out. As you leave today and go to lunch, find someone to tell about Christ. As you wake up tomorrow morning and go to class, as you finish up this semester in the next couple weeks, as you go back home to hang out with friends who, who maybe don't know about God, but you've been here this semester and you've learned a lot about who God is and what he's doing in your life, go back to those people and share with them the reality of who Christ is. As you are going, love God, love people, make disciples. It's so crucial. And what you see in these 12 guys is that they so greatly understood that as they went forward and did their ministry. But also, there's one huge thing that they understood. And we're going to talk about it in great deal next week. But there's one massive thing that drove them to everything that they did in their lives and in their ministries. And that was the reality and the knowledge that just as those two men in white said right there at the end, the reality and the knowledge that Christ was coming back. That this wasn't just a, uh, my, my life is not just, I'm not going to do my ministry and end it and it's not going to mean anything. That Christ is coming back for a purpose and for a reason. And because of that, I'm going to live like Christ is coming back. And we're going to talk about that in huge detail next week. But I want to go ahead and, and wrap it up. But there's one huge thing I want you to understand. When it comes to being ready to go, as you are going, that might seem like a daunting task. It might seem crazy to you. I've never talked to anyone about Christ. Neither had any of these 12 guys. They ended this ministry with Christ, and he said, go out. And they were just so changed by what they had learned and by what they had witnessed in this man Jesus' life. They weren't evangelists before this. They weren't pastors. They weren't preachers. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were doctors. And they stepped out because of how drastically this changed their life. And they went and they told. I'm going to read something to you guys. This is uh, Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest. You might have read it before. Um, but if you guys don't know, me and my wife actually um, lived in California for about three years. I was, I'm from here, but I went out there to go to school. Um, ended up working at the school that I went to out there. Um, and when we got engaged... This is great. She's got a great job. I've got a great job out here. Um, and that was on a Friday. And on Monday, I got a call from this guy named Ben Kempfer. He said, do you want to move back to Tallahassee? And I said, nope. <laughs> but why? Why do you ask? And he started to explain to me the, the idea of what was going on here at Downtown Community Church and the need uh, for there to be a youth ministry on this side of town. And he said, I want you to pray about maybe coming back and helping us try to start something up. And I said, sounds terrifying. Probably not, but we'll pray about it. And that next week, as uh, Grace and I began to pray, um, we read this one thing, and it, it literally blew my mind. This is uh, April 18th, and I'm just going to read it. The title is Readiness. 
When God speaks, many of us are like people in a fog. We give no answer. Moses' reply to God revealed that he knew where he was and that he was ready. Readiness means having a right relationship to God and having the knowledge of where we are. We are so busy telling God where we would like to go, yet the man or woman of God who is ready for God and his work is the one who receives the prize when the summons comes. And realize when he says we're so busy telling God where we would like to go, he doesn't necessarily mean like, I want to go to Africa, I want to go to here. We're so busy telling God, I want to be a pharmacist, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a lawyer so I can make money, provide for my family. None of those are bad things, but we're so busy telling God that, that God's trying to tell us, okay, I'm taking you down that path, but talk to this person. Share, share my name with this person. And we're saying, no, 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 I'm so, I got a test. I, gotta t- I can't go do that. I got a test I got to study for. And God's saying, whoa, I've got you on that path. Just talk to this person. We wait with the idea that some great opportunity or something sensational will be coming our way. And when it does come, we are quick to cry out, here I am. Whenever we sense that Jesus Christ is rising up to take authority over some great task, we are there. But we are not ready for some obscure duty. Readiness for God means that we are prepared to do the smallest thing or the largest thing, and it makes no difference. It means we have no choice in what we want to do, but that whatever God's plans may be, we are there and ready. Whenever any duty presents itself, we hear God's voice just as our Lord heard his Father's voice, and we are ready for it with the total readiness of our love for him. I love this. Jesus Christ expects to do with us just as the Father did with him. He can put us wherever he wants in pleasant duties or in menial ones because our union with him is the same as his union with the Father. That they may be one just as we are one. Quoted from John 17. Be ready for the sudden surprise visits of God. And this is part of my favorite part. This is what blew my mind. A ready person never needs to get ready. He is ready. Think of the time we waste trying to get ready once God is called. The burning bush is a symbol of everything that surrounds the person who is ready, and it is on fire with the presence of God himself. That's who we're called to be. We're called to be on fire with the presence of God. These 12 guys, as we're going to talk a little bit about next week, when the day of Pentecost arrived, literally were on fire with the Holy Spirit, on fire with God. And that plus the reality of what we talked about this week is what took them out to literally change the world. So for you guys who are here, be ready when God calls you. Be ready when God calls you to speak out to the person next to you. Be ready when God calls you to speak out to a coworker. Be ready when God calls you to show up early to church and to change the trash cans. Be ready when God calls you to cover a shift for someone at work because they're not feeling well. Be ready when God calls you to help someone study for a test because they didn't show up to class six times and you're like, what the heck, man? You didn't show up to class all the time. You're an idiot. I'm not helping you. But be ready because they need you and because that is a way that you can be a light to them. Be ready for that. Be ready for the menial tasks that God is calling you to and be ready for the huge tasks that God is going to call you to. Be ready in all of those tasks to love God, to love people, and to make disciples. Be ready. God's going to call you to do amazing things. And, and, and one thing, I, I, I'm not trying to shamelessly plug what we do here at the church, but we, 
set up events for you guys to go out and to serve the community that we sit in. If you guys were here for that prayer walk, we got some, some crazy statistics about where our church is located, literally at the heart of poverty in Tallahassee, at the heart of racial segregation in Tallahassee, at the heart of so many issues that go on with our society. We are literally planted right at the middle of that. And God has called us to this community. So be ready when we ask you to sign up for Project Tallahassee. Be ready to step out and make a difference in this community. Be ready when the HOPE program says we need volunteers. Be ready when VBS rolls around so we can change the lives of some kids. Be ready when we get this youth ministry started up and we're saying we need guys and girls to show up and to love on these students who are in this community. Be ready for those things and don't overlook that and say, no, I'm going to wait for something else. Be ready because God wants to make a difference. He wants to use you to do it. So be ready to love God, to be great neighbors, and to make disciples. I'm going to ask William to come back up. He's going to play one more song to close us out. But as we're singing this last song, I want you guys to, to think about it. If you're involved with a community group, I want you to go to your community groups this weekend and discuss how you can better do those three things how you can better love God in your life, how you can better uh, make disciples, how you can be better neighbors to our community, to the people that are in the dorm room next to you, to the people that sit in the cubicle next to you at work, to the people that work right, literally right next to you in, in, the, in the kitchen or wherever you work. How you can do those three things in your life, how you can put those into effect to make such a huge difference like these 12 guys did when they changed the entire world.